I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air, and this is your weekly briefing for the week ending January 15th. The 2021 edition of the Consumer Electronics Show just wrapped up. Even virtualized and by necessity slimmed down, CES is still a vast enterprise with one huge hurtling chunk of information after another to try to digest. A free buffet is great until you discover you're not allowed to stop eating. This week, we'll be talking with the two EE Times writers who have gone to more CES shows than might be good for anyone's mental health. We'll be talking with Global Editor Junko Yoshida and longtime contributor David Benjamin about the latest in cars, vacuum cleaners, refrigerators, audio systems, gadgets, widgets, apps, and more. Before we get to CES, there were several big news items in the electronics industry this week, which I'll summarize briefly as befits a weekly briefing. On Wednesday, out of the blue, Intel announced that one of its most illustrious alumni, Pat Gelsinger, will be taking over as CEO in the middle of February. He'll be replacing Bob Swan, who in 2018 reluctantly agreed to become interim chief executive and then ended up keeping the top job. Gelsinger joined Intel roughly 30 years ago and knew its legendary founders Gordon Moore, Bob Noyce, and Andy Grove. He helped develop the 80486 processor and eventually became CTO. In short, he's got an impeccable Intel pedigree. He left Intel in 2009 and in 2012 was named CEO of VMware, where he'd been ever since. Intel is still a formidable company today, but it has stumbled of late, and its problems seem to be largely rooted in engineering. Swan is respected as a finance guy, but most Intel watchers cheer his replacement with Gelsinger, an accomplished executive with an engineering background. We'd also like to note the contrast with Qualcomm's announcement the week before of an orderly succession in which current Qualcomm CEO Stephen Mollenkopp will retire in June to be replaced by current president Cristiano Oman. Also last week, the second big merger of this still new year. Two weeks ago, Teledyne bought imaging specialist FLIR for $8 billion. This week, Qualcomm purchased startup Nuvia for $1.4 billion. Nuvia was founded by a bunch of guys, all reasonably well-renowned for designing prominent high-power chips for Apple, ARM, and Google. Now, it takes something to stand out at companies that enormous. In the space of one short year, Nuvia was founded, attracted nearly $300 million in venture capital, and sold for unicorn money. And it hasn't even finished building its first product, a server CPU, which the company says is going to be optimized for cloud applications. That presumably will fit into Qualcomm's 5G plans. So now that we've got that out of the way... On to CES. The most obvious new theme at this year's edition was the pandemic and the response to it. Another theme, established a few years ago and still continuing, is the inexorable infiltration of artificial intelligence into all manner of product. Here we are with Junko Yoshida and David Benjamin. So the automotive makers have been at CES for years now. They've been talking about autonomous vehicles and driver assist, um, we have been covering 
the automotive market and uh, according to our reporting for the last couple of years, yep. it seemed like driver assist was being uh, given a primary role and autonomous uh, driving, autonomous vehicles were being pushed back on the timeline. Um, and we might have heard differently this this uh, this CES. Uh, tell us what you've heard. Okay. I think it still stands. Uh, a lot of uh, OEMs heads are still on the ADAS. But what was interesting this year was the CEO of Mobileye, uh, Amnon Shashua, uh, came on the stage and talked about, um, you know, sort of made a bold prediction of uh, autonomous vehicle, not the robotaxi, consumer AV, in 2025. That was news. Wow. I thought that yeah. was a headline. But I think subtleties are lost in a lot of readers uh, because if you just see the headline, the subtlety is this. Amnon made it very clear the difference, the, what he called the divide between ADAS and AV shouldn't be discussed in terms of the customer features that go into the car. Rather, the divide is on how, how much safer AV is. Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Car makers can put a lot of features and call it level four or even level five cars. That's exactly what that's yeah. uh, those are the the two levels that are considered self-driving. Correct, but you know, L four, for example, level four, for example, um, includes everything from highway autopilot. You know, when you're in highway, mm -hmm. um, you don't even really have to pay attention because the uh, the car drives, um, uh, you know, safely on highway, right? Mm -hmm. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, features that are considered L4. And companies like Tesla uh, would tell you that level four autopilot is coming soon. Now, uh, Mobileye CEO's point is that that is kind of missing the point. You can put a lot of L4 features and call it L4, but in fact, as long as you put the driver behind the wheel, that is called L2. Essentially, it's L2 because Tesla gets to blame the driver if something happens. Right. The difference is that if it is true L4 cars, the, you know, we are assuming that the consumers bear no responsibility for any accidents, right? So there is a astronomically different safety required for AVs. And that's what uh, Mobileye is gunning for with the development of a new radar chip, uh, also lighter. Right. So he's saying, he's arguing that autonomy should mean precisely what it means, dictionary definition in English. Right. It really can do it on its own. Now, what's the what's the argument about mean time between failure? This is this is um, a, a discussion that Shasho brought up, yep. um, and, and he was getting at 
what seems to be a, an objective measure of right. safety. Right. It's like, how often uh, do you have accidents? Uh, you know, so it's a failure, meantime, failures between two accidents, right? I mean, it's a, right. how often do you have the failures? And um, the point is that uh, if you do the kind of back of the napkin math, we say that, that you know, there are a lot of traffic accidents, but uh, human drivers are pretty good drivers. In other words, that when they're not drunk, when they're not asleep, uh, they're actually really astute drivers. And mm -hmm. for autonomous vehicle to catch up with as equal as the human-driven cars, meantime between failures, actually it's difficult. But here's the thing. If it is equal, mm -hmm. you can't really sell AV. <laughs> It has to be. It's got to be better. It's it. it. And it's not 10 times. It's not 100 times. He thinks it's got to be like a thousand times better. And, and yet he seems to think he, he's yeah. still confident that it can be done and relatively quickly. He's talking 2025. Yes. Correct. Yeah, that's pretty confident. Benji, you want to say something? Well, yes, I was. I just listened to the conversation between uh, Shashua and uh, Tom Friedman, the uh, who you know, the columnist for the New York Times, who is a technology dilettante. Um, <laughs> and what uh, Shashua said, and and basically, it was a shared uh, revelation between the two of them is that artificial intelligence has to advance to the point where people and machines have shared values. They have a similar concept of what's careful on the road. And at this point, uh, AI isn't close to that. He thinks that there will be uh, uh, an emergence of something called uh, AGI, uh, artificial general intelligence right. uh, in the in the near future. Uh, he used the uh, the victory of Al or the the mastery of Go by the AlphaGo program, uh, which is a combination of uh, brute force and intuition by the uh, by the software program uh, as an example of how that might come about. Um, uh, he but you know as he was explaining this. I got a sense that he's not as confident about this coming along as as he said as as he's cracked himself up to be. There's a, there's a, there's a certain measure of caution in his presentation. Uh, intuition is such an uh, such a. Uh, I think we can all humans can agree that we have intuition. And that it's almost impossible to mathematically model in any way, at least today, right? And that's what they're trying to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's yeah. an interesting approach, though. CES and says 2025 because it makes headlines. Uh, <laughs> I think he's a little less sure about that than mm -hmm. than, than, than he'll he'll be less sure about when he walks out of CES. Probably. Although he's not at CES, he's in Jerusalem or someplace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at, C at CES in quotes, air quotes there. Um, 
are we are we ready to talk do we have anything more about automotive about any innovations uh in in cars themselves i think we have a lot of stories about ev and that was um, sort of everywhere right and uh, this is not just about gm talking about electrification but uh, every chip company um you know everyone from ti to uh nxp you know they have uh, some kind of uh um, power management chip that works hand in work hand in hand with EV to make sure that um, you know all those bells and whistles we're adding to EV would not eat up so much power so that it would be detriment to the range that EV has. You know that's a, that's a really new problems. You know I was at the uh, Mercedes Benz uh, press conference. And uh, uh, they have the new EV that's coming out later this year. They didn't say exactly when. It's called EVQ. And that they had this uh, like um, pillar to pillar humongous display, which integrates cockpit, cockpit, you know, and infotainment and passenger display all in one, right? And Gorilla Glass really beautiful display but it's like it's it's really big right, right. so one of the questions actually the uh, one of the reporters asked was really interesting so how much power does this humongous display would uh, consume and how would that affect to the ev's range and mercedes-benz guy said well you know we have this uh feature uh incorporated that will automatically dim the uh display when it's not in use and uh, you know they they try to do all kinds of things but i think this is going to be the issue the more and more features we put into the so-called smart cars that will eat up that would consume battery well, that puts into context that story that uh, Anne-Francoise Pellet uh, wrote for us about uh, TDK. TDK has come up with a, a means of harvesting energy from, uh, from uh, wheels. Um, it's, uh, I guess they, they convert mechanical vibration uh, from, uh, from the rotating tire into, into electricity. Um, so we'll probably see more of that. Now, Benji, your story on GM... I think um, everybody's the epitome of gas guzzling excess is the Hummer. And what did GM tell us about the Hummer? Well, they said they're turning it into an, uh, an electric, electric vehicle entirely. Uh, and they, they, they showed a lot of bells and whistles on, on the Hummer. But, yeah, you're right. The, the Hummer is the, is the quintessential gas-guzzling roadhog. Suddenly, it's going to become a zero-emissions roadhog. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, but, uh, you know the, the, what I saw in that presentation, besides uh, uh, Mary Barra's uh, references, uh, political references, climate change and uh, and uh, and racial equality and and so forth was it was the the fact that you know when when I think about CES I think about that letter E uh, which stands for elect electronics and electricity uh, and so for for so long 
CES and the automotive industry, like for the last five or six years, when auto companies have, have really become dominant uh, actors at CES, uh, it's, they've been strange bedfellows because uh, even though there was an awful lot of automotive electronics and, and, and computers on wheels being touted at CES, the elephant in the backseat of the car was <laughs> oil, gas, and internal combustion. You know, you had gas guzzling carbon monoxide spewing machines that were part of an electronics show. Uh, suddenly this year, uh, General Motors especially made it clear that they're, they're transitioning away from oil, gas, and, and internal combustion, that they're going totally electric. Uh, and at least they're saying that. Uh, and the commitment seems to be pretty clear. Uh, so this is a this is not only a sea change politically; it, it's a sea change uh, technologically uh, for auto companies. You see it, of course, with the other companies too. But but General Motors made Mary Barron made it so absolutely clear that, that that they were going to be an electric car company rather than uh, an internal combustion car company in the uh, in the near future. Well, my recollection from uh, from our coverage, Junko, maybe you could back me up on this. Um, our, my recollection of our coverage is that uh, the auto industry and a lot of people who have looked at the numbers um, are, are of the opinion that we're, we're either at or approaching a transition point where electric vehicles, electric motors are going to be more efficient than internal combustion. And the numbers economically, it just makes more sense to go electric. Is that isn't that the case? Yeah, I think that's true. And also, wasn't that GM's account, uh, press conference? They talked about that, that before people buy a car, there should be the home power. The installation, you know, they, they will install the, the charger in the home as part of the purchase of the car. Mm -hmm. At least. Mm -hmm. Well, that'll be a brave new world. Uh, not everybody has a garage. Uh, here in here where I live, uh, they've just set up, uh, you know, uh, probably definitely several thousand units of housing in the past 10 years with literally zero new parking. Um, so if, if you have a car, it's out on the street. So that's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting approach when it comes to the, some of the practical details. I would like to move on to uh, one of the other themes that I, we're, we've all seen emerging at uh, CES over the years, but seems to really be prominent this year is artificial intelligence um, in everything. Um, <clears throat> there are a couple things we've seen that, that probably could use the artificial intelligence, but a couple that probably don't a lot of them does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, 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 it was one of the keynotes. Uh, I mean, the NXP had this um, their own presentation, one of which was the AI-enabled coffee maker so that the coffee maker knows who you are and that makes the coffee just the way you like it. I mean, why would you want to do that? I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I suppose if you're one of those people who like insists on having the you know half calf skinny vegan yeah skinny, right but this is your home. <laughs> yeah yeah or i think uh, the um even in a car that was in cabin ai as nvidia talked about is a really big deal that the people want to know that what's going on inside the car and um you know, one of the problems everybody has is a user interface. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, That Gorilla Glass uh, display that I was talking about, uh, Mercedes-Benz is now calling it zero layer. What it means is that you don't really have to <clears throat> go through all the sub-menus to get to the uh, screen that you want to um, have. I mean, the uh, but over time, AI in the cabin will learn your habit, what display, what information you are more inclined to use, and they will put that on the first layer. That's what they're promising. I heard that from LG as well. They're talking about um, uh, the using AI for dashboard uh, vehicle vehicle dashboard information uh learning your preferences and and making sure they display what uh what it is you're apt to want and and, i mean it goes from uh the slight like the navigation aids and the cockpit information to figuring out which person is in the driver's seat and who gets to choose what music you play and your you know your audio presets on your radio or whatever. Right. Wouldn't that be called P-A-I? Psychological Artificial Intelligence? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we should coin that, yes. (laughs) Let's patent it. Yeah, that's what we're using from now on. Listening to the the conversation between uh, Amnon Shashua and Tom Friedman, and probably one of the most interesting passages was when Shashua was talking about you know, when you get AI to the point where, uh, yeah, essentially it it's interested in people's uh, happiness uh, and and does things to make them happy and uh, might evolve. Uh, you know, because now this would be a, a, a kind of an agglutinative uh, artificial intelligence where it learns things and uh, and 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 comes up with strategies to respond to what it's learned. Uh, and he suggested that AI might figure out that um, people are happier uh, if they're dumber, and that it could create it, it could set up a system whereby uh, it uh, it makes people dumber uh, and makes them more happy. Therefore, and of course, that would lead to the to the dominance of the artificial intelligence over humans uh because it would be that much more smarter all the time than the humans it was it was serving oh i laughed a moment ago but but i'm i'm it was a it was a laugh of fear yeah that that sounds exactly like something that might actually happen a cyberdyne systems (laughs) exactly um yeah i saw uh on the other hand, I've seen uh, like for there were some applications of of intelligence that seemed kind of uh, appropriate and and they weren't aimed at the consumer 
directly. Um, And and the the example I'm thinking of is, uh, again, listening to LG, um, they're they're putting uh, machine learning into their televisions. And uh, the idea there is to actually pay attention to what's on screen, uh, be able to identify objects um, and by in the the obvious example but not the only one the obvious example is when you have um, a text displayed over whatever's happening on screen and that happens more and more often than you realize it's not just advertisements i've seen a lot of shows where um, the characters are communicating on their smartphones and they, they put the, the, they overlay the smartphone conversations over the video, for instance, so that you can actually, you don't actually have to screw up your eyes and try to figure out what's on the little tiny, tiny smartphone that the character's holding. They actually display it on the screen. The upshot is, is being able to distinguish between objects on the screen and that would allow the, the, uh, the, the machine learning function to figure out, oh, this is what's happening. Let's make the text clearer. Let's go out of our way to make sure that this is text and that it's clearer on the screen. And uh, other examples might include, they're saying their, their machine learning algorithm can figure out what the genre of the video is and, and adjust luminance settings and whatnot accordingly. Um, when you think about uh, film noir, uh, either in black and white in the classical situation, modern might have a, a very limited color palette. Um, it would figure that out and and adjust the, the screen uh, mm. performance qualities mm. accordingly. So it's kind of, kind of interesting from that point of view. And then there's the vacuum cleaner with LIDAR. Yeah. <laughs> Just what we need, right? Just what everybody needs. <laughs> or, or the one that I just saw, and people are either going to think this is frivolous or the best thing ever, and probably there's going to be nobody in the middle. Um, smart perfume. Really? Yeah, there's, there's a company called <laughs> Ninu that has... Uh, a, a dispenser, a perfume dispenser. It has multiple chambers. It'll have different uh, different fragrances inside, and it will. It actually has an AI that will suggest to you what what would be appropriate. Um, your body chemistry changes during the day. Your body heat changes during the day. Uh, they're saying you might want to dial back on, you know, depending on the, the social situation, you might want to go heavier with perfume. You might want to go lighter and it would mix it, mix the perfumes uh, in, the, in the canister accordingly and, uh, and uh, respond to, you know, the, the actual social situation. Uh, or, or preferences for how you want to aromatize the room. Uh, it seems to me that taking perfume choice away from women is like taking the steering wheel away from a tram <laughs> owner. Probably a good analogy for a lot of women. I'm sure. I'm sure that's actually probably true. Well, yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, that was one of those ones where I was looking at it. I'm like, do I really need this? Or 
There are a lot of things that are the Dubai need really need this. Yeah, that's a CES essentially is the show for do I really need? <laughs> yeah. Um, so AI, um, COVID, the pandemic, um, in uh, a, a lot of what I've seen on the floor, the floor, the virtual floor, um, is a response to people's um, uh, concerns about sanitizing, uh, sanitizing their, their environment. Um, how about you? Uh, definitely. I mean, I went to Panasonic's uh, press conference, uh, virtual press conference, and I was actually amazed by Panasonic's presentation. Every product category or initiative they mentioned in during the conference was all neatly tied to pandemic. Sort of like they, I, you know, I understand they took the pandemic things very seriously, and especially Panasonic being the sponsor for the upcoming Tokyo Olympics. Mm. Um, so they, they they have a lot of stake on this. And then they realize that, uh, you know, I guess corporate responsibility, social responsibility, and there are a lot, there are a lot of things that uh, tech companies can do to combat pandemic. But at the same time, um, and so, so the, in, in that realm, <clears throat> we can talk about like air purifier or the, um, the um, so, but, but it, it, it just the hook. They, they use pandemic for hook for every new product. That kind of got to me at one point. You know, for example, here's the thing. We're talking about the adding more, you know, um, sound system inside the car. And the news hook for that is that cars are becoming second home because nobody wants to travel uh, via airplane or bus or taxi so that, you know, you really need to take care of this car and car needs to be really comfortable. Okay, check, right? And um, kitchen, but, but, the, but the leap to the but the leap to the sound system in the car is yeah. a little tenuous. You know, it's like yeah, you didn't even have to mention you know pandemic. And yeah. then there's a kitchen, right? And uh, we all want to go to the restaurant, but we can't. And uh, but pandemic gave us an opportunity to take the chef out of you, every 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 person, and therefore. Uh, and Panasonic actually has a really good, um, you know, convection oven, microwave, you know, they're really good kitchen stuff. I do know the kitchen appliances, but they came up with this ultimate, um, you know, uh, looks like a microwave, but it's a microwave convection oven, air fryer, and there was something else that I forgot. There's a four in one. And sous vide. Yeah, something. I mean, but it's like a four in one, and and again, it's like okay, we, you know, it's maybe rather than have buying four different ally, uh, you know, appliances in the, in in the cluttering your kitchen counter, that's a good idea. But I mean, it's it just sort of got to me that you know, home chef in you because of the pandemic. Yeah, that was like a little too much. I thought. 
Yeah, no, as I mentioned before, I sat in on the LG um, presentation and uh, they kind of soft pedaled it. They, 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 they never actually said pandemic. They never actually said COVID. Uh, what they did say over and over again is that our lives have changed. And I, you know, I think any, any, everybody who was listening knew what that meant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was, for instance, uh, there, there were certain things like they have a robot, uh, a UV robot, um, uh, meant to go through, um, through non-residential buildings and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, virtually wipe down, uh, surfaces, uh, by exposing them to UV. Um, but then they mentioned a, uh, putting a UV, uh, sanitizing uh, device inside the refrigerators uh, for those refrigerators that have water dispensers the uv was built into the water nozzle so that now you can feel comfortable that your water is clean i'm like who was uncomfortable about their water coming out of their it just seemed like uh they were they were stretching a little but you know what tells that tells us is that um, the uh, despite <clears throat> this unprecedented uh, year uh, during the pandemic, I think tech companies have shown or have demonstrated the ability to come up with new products and technologies <laughs> that uh, you know, sort of uh, they, they like to say the resilience of that business, right? I mean, I think that was sort of the overall message from the uh, virtual CES this year. I think. Uh, I just I think that every year there are uh, trends or uh, uh, gadget waves that take place at CES, uh, and an awful lot of these uh, are really tied to the need for uh, researchers in R and D labs to keep their jobs. <laughs> so they come. So they this year they had to come up with stuff that somehow could be related to COVID nineteen, uh, and of the say five hundred thousand new uh, technologies that have emerged this year uh, connected to COVID nineteen, we will see three or four of them survive uh, for an, another twelve months, uh, and those will probably be really cool things. Uh, and that, I think that survival rate is pretty much normal for CES. Yeah, absolutely. So Benji, a moment ago, uh, you alluded to um, the uh, kind of like the social consciousness uh, element of Mary Barra's speech at, at GM. Um, and I want to get back to that. Uh, that was, in my experience, a, a very unusual presentation. And you were the one who actually sat through it and wrote about it. I'd like you to talk about what was remarkable about it. Well, what's remarkable is um, that, first of all, CES is a consciously apolitical gathering. Um, and if it is political, it's a conservative gathering. Uh, we know that Gary Shapiro is, uh, is, is a very conservative guy. And, he, and whenever he does his interview with the FCC chairman, which I t attend every year, um, he is much happier with a Republican FCC chairman than a Democratic FCC chairman. Yes. Uh, so when Mary Barra stood up and spoke uh, uh, about the uh, the political 
and social crises that are that are affecting the uh, the, the world really, uh, especially gender equality, uh, racial justice, and the 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 the, the big the, the biggie uh, climate change. She was really violating the uh, the protocols of CES mm-hmm. to keep things um, keep things apolitical, and I think really um, it it's it represents uh, it. It illustrates uh, a kind of a pent-up frustration among uh, leaders, especially even even in corporations who are very careful about what they say, um, uh, dating back to the beginning of the Trump administration, when uh, when the when the administration uh, started taking a sledgehammer to uh, environmental rules and and became openly. Uh, uh, racist, racist in in in, mm. in so much in so many of the indications that uh, that Trump uh, Trump uh, gave, especially uh, obviously at the Charlottesville thing, but dating all the way back to the Central Park Five and the brother controversy. Um, and I I think that if uh, this were a normal election year, post election year, uh, Mary Barrow would have would have held her peace and and worked quietly to uh, you know between herself and the and the administration. Uh, but she was so frustrated, and I think a lot of corporate lead. I mean, it was you know to this this week, so many corporations um, announced that they were ceasing political contributions. To anybody who was involved in the in the in the in the any legislator who supported the uh, the reversal of the election, uh, that there's just this huge level of frustration among normally conservative corporate leaders at how their values and their agenda have been warped uh, by four years of of Donald Trump in the White House. And let's, let's, I mean, in my estimation, it's their agenda. All of these companies at the Consumer Electronics Show, we talked about the E being important. It's the C when we're talking about this, this subject. It's the consumer. And they're focused on the consumer. And if, if society is off, if we're if we're not uh, if we're not taking care of citizens, aka consumers, who's gonna buy this stuff? I mean, it's not. It, I mean, it's not crass to want to make sure that you you know it's not a crass consideration. I don't think for an executive to worry that about their about their consumers. When uh, when I was uh, working in public relations at a consulting company, one of the uh, publications I always read was Advertising Age, mm. uh, because advertisers and the corporations they represent had a better sense of what was coming in uh, in the marketplace uh, than anybody in politics. Uh, yes, so you saw. So you saw, for instance, after the Deepwater Horizon crisis, BP was broadcasting ad- ads about about their their work in this, in solar and turbine and and biomass and things like that. They saw before any politician saw that the market and the consumer are, were going to move away from 
fossil fuels and and gas guzzling cars and 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 uh, electric plants that spew uh, coal dust into the sky and and toward a more eco-friendly uh, world and and they so and so you know Mary Bear is simply saying that this is this is the this is the way uh, the way we're going to go. It isn't just political. It's it's a matter of corporate survival. Uh, it's the world is changing, and we have to we have to be ahead of the change, or or we're going to be left behind. And that's a good place to leave this conversation. Uh, Junko, Benji, thank you very much for your time. Thanks. Oh, thank you. That was Global Editor Junko Yoshida and columnist David Benjamin. We recorded this when CES was still in full swing, and it still had a couple of days left to go. You can learn more about what happened at the show by checking out our coverage on our website at www.eetimes.com. When you get there, you're welcome to just scroll through the headlines, but if you look on the left-hand side of the page, you'll see the CES logo. Clicking on that will get you to a page where we've consolidated links to all of our CES reporting, not only from EE Times, but from many of our sister publications as well, including EE Times Europe, EE Times Asia, EDN, Embedded, EE Web, and Electronic Products. If you're on this podcast episode's webpage, there's a handy link to that page right there too. That wraps your weekly briefing for the week ending January 15th. Thank you for listening. The weekly briefing is available on all the major podcast platforms, including Android, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. But if you get to us via our website at www.eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. This podcast is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.